Blog Talk Radio. football guru in Birmingham, Alabama, and uh, with us today, we missed him last week, but with us today, live from Roswell, Georgia, is uh, our our guest Tar Heel, Mr. Matt Metcalf. Matt, <laughs> Matt, welcome back to the show. Thanks thanks for having me, Chip. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, man, let's get right into it, guys, because we, uh, we got 45 minutes to talk college football before uh, we take a little bit of a break, and then we will welcome in the Savage Burn, Mr. Steve Butler, and the Buffalo Bad Boy, Mr. Pete Tasca. Um, Kip, I was just talking to Matt um, right before we began about, uh, you know, every week it seems like, uh, you know, the, the games on Saturday and Sunday, they kind of write the storylines for the show. And, you know, you never have to go out and kind of search for things to talk about. You know, and, and the same is true this week, but. We saw two of the strangest football games that huh. I think I've ever seen, possibly. Um, certainly the strangest football game of the year in college football with Texas Tech and Oklahoma. And then uh, we're, we're going to talk about it in the second segment. But uh, that Sunday night game in the NFL between the Seattle Seahawks <laughs> and the Arizona Cardinals just a bizarre game, both of them bizarre games for two completely different reasons. But, uh, Kip, I want to kind of bring you in first, and then we'll bring Matt in. The Oklahoma-Texas Tech game. Now, keep in mind, guys, that um, uh, I was down on the Plains this weekend, down in Auburn watching Auburn run all over, no pun intended, run all over the Arkansas Razorbacks, and we will talk about that in just a second. But uh, because I was down there uh, doing that, I really didn't have an opportunity to kind of see what was going on in the Texas Tech-Oklahoma game. But I did get a text at uh, 1230 in the morning, um, Sunday morning, so uh, late, late Saturday night from Mr. Matt Metcalf, and it said, Pat Mahomes went 52 for 88 for 734 <laughs> yards and five touchdowns. He ran 12 times for 85 yards and two touchdowns. His team lost by seven. What yeah, in the world, Kip Kiefer, happened in Lubbock, Texas on Saturday night? I mean, just 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 listen to, to this and try to try to absorb it because it took me about 24 hours before I could even process this. Both teams had the exact same amount of yardage, 854 yeah. yards. Now that wasn't the total between the two teams. That was the <laughs> offensive output of both squadrons. Now I I have to admit I have seen highlights because my initial suspicion was. The entire defensive units of both teams must have been suspended for that game, and it was just a, a kind, of, 
kind of a scrimmage deal where, you know, maybe you had a certain amount of plays and you, you had to get it down the field. 854 yards for both offenses. And, you know, Texas Tech, we've kind of come to expect this, you know, wild shootout style. But consider this, and, and people want to know if undefeated West Virginia is legitimate. The week before, West Virginia held them in the 300-yard range and only gave up 17 points in Lubbock in the same stadium, on the same field. A week later, they go back and forth, 854. Uh, Mahomes completes 52 passes. Uh, Not enough, like you said, 66 to 59. Not in overtime. In regulation, that was the score. Uh, And and from Texas Tech, maybe you expect their defense to be that leaky. I, I, I can't for the life of me understand who they recruit how, what they teach, I mean, it just seems like if you have college players, you can't be that bad. But obviously they are. But what is what is Bob Stoops' defensive genius that's made his bones throughout his entire career as a, as a brilliant defensive mind? What is yeah. Oklahoma's excuse? A playoff team a year ago, how did they surrender 854 yards? It is absolutely mind-boggling. And when you c- contrast that with what you mentioned before, that – abysmal paint drying grass growing being more exciting game on on uh on on monday night or i guess it was sunday night yeah sunday night yeah sunday night um six to six i mean is that when they play in the same game i mean it's it, it's almost <laughs> impossible to, to to even come to grips with that it, it it's just unbelievable but that that might be the wildest most ridiculous college game of all time and again it wasn't texas tech byu it was texas tech Oklahoma. Bob, totally. what do you have to say for yourself? Well, with that, Kip, uh, Matt, let me go ahead and play a, uh, a clip of Coach Stoops after the game and get your comments on it. You know, and, and as I was listening to a little bit of Coach Stoops' press conference, you know, it finally struck me that, you know, not only was the game bizarre, but here you have a head coach of a team that just won a seven-point game on the road. And he's got to be asked why his team gave up 655 yards passing. I mean, look, Oklahoma left there with a win. They're 5-2. and two. But, Matt, here is Bob Stoops after the game. Want to get your comments. That is unfortunate that some of our better players, you know, were in position to make some plays and didn't make them. So um, I, I believe in these guys. Uh, they have pride. Uh, it'll bother them, and, and uh, you know, we've, we've made some of these plays through the year. We've just been terribly inconsistent with it. So I thought, you know, we were starting to turn a corner here in the last few weeks, and obviously, you know, it, it didn't look like that out there tonight. And uh, But I, I do be, believe, you know, we'll be able to improve from it. <laughs> Matt, that didn't sound like a coach that had a seven-point victory on the road in conference, did it? Hey, man, a W is a W. Move along. W is a W. I I did get to watch a a good chunk of the game. I obviously had my eye on a couple others. But uh, I I know it's become a cliche at this point, but it literally felt like a game of Madden. Uh, It 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 was just up and down and back and forth. And and my favorite part was toward the end of the game. uh, uh, Tech had just scored a touchdown to get it within seven. Two minutes, minute 30, something like that left. So you know they're going to go onside. They don't recover it. And Andy Staples from Sports Illustrated immediately tweeted, you know, if Texas Tech can just get a stop, oh, forget it. 
I mean, there was a person in that stadium that thought that, that they could hold Oklahoma to a punt right there. Um, and, and just to put some of this in perspective, you know, uh, Kip talked about the total number of yards. That was a couple of first downs short of a mile of total offense in that game. God. Unbelievable. 1,708 yeah. yards. Wow. Yeah. And uh, and like I said, it's just uh, – I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it short of some of these ridiculous – uh, you know, sort of D3 games where you got both, you know, both offenses just essentially playing pinball with each other. Um, but, it, but again, at the end of the day, look, Stoops got the W. They're still very much uh, in the Big 12 title race. And um, I, I don't know if we're going to get a two-loss Big 12 team in the playoff, but you can't count them out as long as they keep racking up wins. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. Yeah, you're exactly right. When you look at this game – uh, and you look at the records that were broken into the game. The Sooners and the Red Raiders, and this is from Drake, Jake Trotter at ESPN.com. The Sooners and the Red Raiders shattered the FBS record for combined yards in a game with 1,708. Both sides finished with 854 apiece. The previous record was 1,640, which was set by San Jose State and Nevada in 2001. And, guys, that broke the previous record by 68 yards. I mean, come on. <laughs> Texas Tech quarterback wow. Patrick Mahomes tied the FBS record for passing yards in a game with 734. Washington State's Connor Halliday uh, had previously held the record in 2004. And I remember that game and just thought it was insane. So Mahomes was one-yard passing attempt shy of tying Connor Halliday's FBS record of 89 attempts in the game. Um, but Mahomes' 819 yards of total offense, excuse me, also set an FBS record. Um, uh, on the other side, Oklahoma became the first offense in FBS history to feature a 500-yard passer, a 200-yard rusher, and a 200-yard receiver. And, guys, you got to remember, Baker Mayfield transferred from Texas Tech. So buried in the storyline of, uh, of this game was the fact that Baker Mayfield was 26 of 35 for 540 yards, seven touchdowns, and no interceptions. Look, that's pretty impressive. I know you were playing a defense that was god-awful. But uh, just very, very, very impressive. Uh, but I mean, crazy, they, crazy game. And like you said, Kim, oh. not like it was Texas Tech BYU, but, uh, you know, when I went back and looked at that game, it felt like one of the old historic holiday bowls in San Diego. Yeah. You know, that ball always <laughs> had the reputation as kind of being a shootout. Boy, they got nothing on these teams. It's just insane. So, uh, well, and if you remember, too, you know, Oklahoma's in a little bit of an interesting spot, or Bob Stoops is in a little bit of an inter- interesting spot. Not only did, did uh, both Matt, you, and Kip mention, you know, that Bob Stoops has always been, you know, he's always been a defensive mind, was a coordinator before he became a head coach, but you guys know who the defensive coordinator is at Oklahoma? It's Mike Stoops, Bob's brother. <laughs> His brother. So, yeah, so that had to be a little – that ought to be an interesting Thanksgiving conversation. I'm curious to see how that goes because uh, – you put up numbers like that, and uh, going to be hard to keep your brother there. So, uh, any event, um, changing gears for a little bit, guys. And uh, i got to tell you, Matt, you missed last week's show. But uh, one of the things we talked about on last week's show was how uh, there were some games in college football that had some really interesting lines. Um, and uh, particularly – 
uh, Auburn and Arkansas for one. It was a 10-point line, which I thought was absolutely insane. And I was right, by the way. It should have been 53. Um, But, no, in all honesty, I was going the other direction. I mean, Auburn, uh, give them a lot of credit. They've made a lot of – a lot of improvements this year, but coming into the game this weekend in Jordan-Hare, we had really only performed uh, offensively in three games, and one was Arkansas State, the other one was Louisiana Lafayette, and then the other one was Mississippi State, a team that's not that good this year. So uh, i got to tell you, I would have just been happy to, to bank a W and, uh, and got out of there with a win, but holy cow. Um, you know, this is a team and this is an offense that, uh, that has to have rhythm. Um, and I've been saying for a little, a little less than a year and a half, probably a year and a quarter, that my biggest concern with Gus Malzahn's offense is that defenses are really figuring out a way to, to defend that offense. And, and maybe they still are. But, look, um, Sean White, uh, a good quarterback, not a great quarterback, a good quarterback, doesn't make mistakes. Um, and it looks like when you give him the rock and you give him responsibility and you let him lead this team, uh, look, pretty impressive. I mean, uh, you're looking at an Auburn team that defeated the Racerbacks 56-3, wow. to and Sean White only completed six passes. Guys, I've never seen anything like it in this regard. We did not throw a pass in the final 28 plays from scrimmage, and they still couldn't stop us. It was Mm -hmm. unbelievable. Granted, we kind of caught Arkansas playing their eighth game in a row. They looked like they were out of gas. They're just now – we were coming off of a bye week. They now have their bye week. Um, look, they're not that bad of a football team, at least. I didn't think they were coming in. And I certainly don't think we're as good of a football team as the final score showed. But, man, oh, man, i got to tell you guys, being in Jordan-Hare Stadium, having an opportunity to watch that after, after what Auburn fans have been through the first three or four games this year and all last year was pretty impressive. Kip, your thoughts on uh, what happened this weekend, Jordan-Hare? Well, uh, I mean, we're, we're talking about uh, Madden-esque performances. How about Auburn hanging up 547 rushing yards, seven rushing touchdowns. Both of those are all-time SEC records in conference play. Uh, Incredible. There's been a lot, of, a lot of prolific offenses and a lot of prolific offensive players. Think about that, that uh, Sean White and, and Petway and company – uh, broke those records on Saturday night, which who saw that coming? I mean, what, mm. what, what Malzahn has done with a few adjustments, uh, first of all, to let's, let's go ahead and give him some props, because early in the year he was really, uh, well, let's face it, Gus was under the bus when they were about to back it over him. Um, Look, he, he might have lost his job had there been 15 absolutely. minutes and one second in, you know, in the LSU game. Yeah, if, 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 if LSU, if that touchdown holds up, that Sunday announcement may have been Gus, not Les Miles. I mean, that's, that's sure. really how close that was. But the, the thing that's astounding to me is that, uh, you know, Auburn now, everything has just fallen so perfectly into place because I don't care how talented or how explosive Ole Miss is, their defense just looked as bad as Arkansas's on Saturday night. Leonard yeah. Fournette just shredded them. 
And it looked sure to did. me like about halfway through the third quarter, you know, you and I said it in our in the preseason show. Who is going to be who in the top ten or twelve teams is is suspect, and we both said Ole Miss. And and with everything swirling around them and their tough schedule, I mean, look to me like that team just flat quit. Now, can they can they muster up a one last stand kind of mentality in Oxford on Saturday against Auburn? I'm not so sure. The other really tough game that looked like it was on Auburn's schedule looming is Georgia, and we know what a dumpster fire is going on over in Athens. Yeah. Who knows what you're going to face there? So all of a sudden, all of this ominous schedule and tough road games for Auburn look pretty doable, these two games. And, man, how much hype is going to be in the Iron Bowl if Auburn comes in there, a one-loss team, with a chance to not only ruin Alabama's season and their national championship quest, but to knock them out of the division title and go to Atlanta. Uh, it, it, it's going to be – you talk about storylines and suspense, and right now I, I can't – I mentioned West Virginia, which is not a team you think about uh, playing great defense. But other than them, who are undefeated and, and doing some pretty amazing things in the Big 12, which is suspect, uh, right now I would have to say if you put me on the spot and say who are the top two defensive teams in college football – Right now, I'd have to say Alabama and Auburn, and maybe that's a little Ooh. bit of a homer mentality since I'm over here. But I, you name me somebody playing, maybe Wisconsin's in that category. But you name me teams that are playing better defense than the Tide and the Tigers. Interesting, Kip. I, I love it. I love it. I love it. It's hard for me to be a believer. I mean, it is. <laughs> it is just. Uh, it, it, it's hard for me. It no matter. It doesn't matter what I saw on Saturday, and I saw the same thing everybody else did. You know, I also went through last year, went through the Clemson game. You know, we went through the Texas A&M game, went through the LSU game. Look, even though we won the LSU game, we, we, we never found an identity on offense. Really, I think until the Mississippi State game, and now we found it twice. Uh, I am a little bit nervous coming into uh, the weekend at Ole Miss. Look, um, we're not as good as we were on Saturday, but we're a better football team right now than Ole Miss is. And I think what we might have going for us is it certainly looked like that LSU, that Ole Miss team has given up. Um, uh, it I looks like so. uh, all the uh, all the talent that they lost to the draft, all the distractions with the NCAA investigation, all the close losses and the comeback, looks like it's finally kind of done them in a little bit. And I think we've got that going for us, but. You know, uh, it, it, you're exactly right. If Auburn can go into the Iron Bowl with one SEC loss, storylines are going to be huge. I can't let myself get there yet um, <laughs> because I know how this team, you know, has, uh, has, has multiple personalities. Matt Metcalf, your thoughts on this year's Auburn Tigers? Uh, well, that was obviously a heck of an impressive performance the other night, and now it's hard for me to keep up because this thing goes back and forth so quickly, but Gus is a genius again, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, all right. Just wanted to check on that. Uh, yeah, you know, like you said, it's a rhythm offense, and we've seen it a couple times since Malzahn's been there. When he when they get in a rhythm, when they get on a roll, uh, they they can be awfully scary. Um, the defense is improving. Uh, you know, I think they're up to about 15th in uh, total yards allowed right now. Um, I, I'm kind of like you, Chip, though. I just I can't quite buy it just yet. Uh, yeah. Kip made a great point. They, uh, um, you know, the schedule has fallen much more favorably than anyone would have thought, and certainly the three of us thought when we were doing the previous shows in August. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and, and, and you know, say this for Alabama, they've come through a really tough stretch, but yet somehow they're going to catch LSU and Auburn right when they're both peaking. If Bama gets this, gets to the SEC title game, they will have damn well earned it. Uh, but, but, you oh, know, yeah. Chip, I, 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 I think it's good for, for the, the conference and good for football when Auburn's good. Uh, my father, a huge Alabama fan used to tell me, you know, you pull for Auburn 10 weeks a year. Cause I want them to be undefeated when we beat them. So, sure. Sure. <laughs> you know, and it makes the iron bowl even better than usual. So, uh, like I said, a lot of football for both teams left. Don't for a minute think that, uh, LSU is going to be a chip shot for Alabama. Uh, Not but at boy, all. it, it it's it's like you guys said. It's almost like the football gods got together and said these two need to play a game that matters again. Yeah, no doubt. And I tell you, Ed Orgeron, he's the best interim coach in the history of college football. Um, <laughs> you know, the guy can coach when he has the interim tag on him. You know, but when he has the keys to a program and he gets the head coach title, not had a lot of success. He beats Alabama. There's no interim left in that guy. Uh, he no, will be the coach of the LSU Tigers next year. Might even fight his way in, if, even if they even if they lose to Alabama. But uh, Kip, on that, let's transition a little bit. That was game one in which, uh, you know, we were kind of scratching our heads at the line. just didn't make a lot of sense. The second game that seemed like it had a really, really high line was Alabama and Texas A&M. And uh, that line opened at 17. It went all the way up to 20. And then right around game time, it came back down and closed at 17-and-a-half. And then Alabama ends up winning the football game 33-14, to 14, a 19-point spread. They cover the spread. Are you kidding me? They play the number six team in the country. They close as a 17-and-a-half point favorite, and they cover the spread. But how happy is Nick Saban after the game? Kip, here's how happy Nick Saban was. Can't be relieved that we won this game um, because there's a big difference in resting, relaxing, working to improve, and being relieved. Uh, we got lots of games against lots of good teams coming up. Uh, when we start back playing again, uh, that can you know have a tremendous impact on what kind of season that we have. So uh, we got to continue to be able to persevere as a team. On a down note, um, Eddie Jackson has a fractured leg, and he will be out for the season. Um, you know, Eddie was a fantastic player for us, a great leader. Uh, I think an All-American player as a safety, uh, at least in my book. <laughs> Kip, does that sound like a head coach? Does that does that sound like a head coach that just beat the number six team in the country by 19 at home? Does that guy know how to party or what? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable! What a good time, Charlie. If I'm if I'm having a, a, a joyous social event, I know Nick's top of my list uh, on the that's invite right. uh, ledger. Um, yeah, I mean it, that's pretty typical. You know, it's just another step in the process. Um, you know, we talked about it. There was really you, you looked at that game and you didn't see any scenario that A and M could probably win the game. But you know, 19 points. Come on, that was that was crazy. And like you said, it even got the 20 in some places. But I. I started thinking about it even more as the week went on, and I was on a Saturday show here in, in Birmingham, and uh, and they said, can they cover – at that time they were calling it an 18-point spread, and I said, only one way. If this, this streak – if the defense or special team scores a touchdown, they can cover. If they don't, they mm-hmm. will not. And, of course, they did. Jonathan Allen shaking loose a, 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 a fumble and another scoop and score for the Alabama defense. 
which is now 12 touchdowns on the year, and I think their streak is up to nine or ten games in a row that they've done that. Unbelievable. Uh, going, going back. Yeah, it, it, it's just it, it's, it's beyond comprehension. So when you've got a scoring mm-hmm. unit, uh, you know, I, I, I joked on my show here on Sunday that, uh, you know, my new top four was, without Ohio State losing was, you know, Alabama, and then Alabama's defense was number two. So, um, you know, it's, 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 it's a pretty formidable unit. You could, uh, a lot of games, uh, you, you, could, you could bet Alabama and not even have their offense come on the field and they'd still cover. So uh, it, it, yeah. it's a unique blend. Their, de- their defense is different now. And, the, and isn't it amazing, fellas, the much maligned Jeremy Pruitt is the only thing different down there than last year. Kirby Smart, they changed places. Kirby Smart going to Georgia. Jeremy Pruitt, who they basically ran out of Athens for just being a, a bad guy, and nobody liked him because he wasn't respectful, and he had a potty mouth and a lot of other things. Saban takes him in, and look at this defense now. Not only do they try and strip the ball, they're intending to score. They are looking to score. It's like basketball, the term scoring the ball. That's what the Alabama's defense is trying to do. And it's, yeah. it's really something we haven't seen. This This defense is not big and plodding and – and and gigantic like some previous Alabama defenses. This Alabama defense is just blazing fast and makes plays. And it's it is a big loss to lose Eddie Jackson, who was kind of the leader and the and the most senior player that they had. We'll see how they can overcome that. I I, I you could hear the angst in Saban's voice, knowing that that was a big big loss for them. But uh, the, the the good train Alabama is rolling. But I think Matt's right. Anybody who thinks this trip to Baton Rouge a week from Saturday is going to be a walk in the park, and and the line's liable to be fourteen or something ridiculous, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll wait. And, we'll wait and see. But uh, Leonard Fournette kind of announced that he, uh, he, he he's back. He's back. He is back. And uh, but in fairness, look, Leonard Fournette is an incredible running back. But if you watch a lot of those long touchdowns. Um, a truck could have driven through some of those holes oh, yeah. and and made it through. I mean, that old Miss defense absolutely was intimidated. Sure. They gave up. They weren't in the game. I mean, you name it. And I, I tell you, um, I, I believe that this is the deepest team, uh, even with the Eddie Jackson injury, this is the deepest team and probably – the, the the best, most complete team I think that Nick Saban's ever had. I mean, you know, he now has a quarterback that offers yet another dimension to score points that Alabama mm-hmm. teams don't normally have. Um, and by the way, guys, he's a true freshman, so he's going to be around yeah. for a while. So yeah, it's just unbelievable. Sure. Um, the, the You know, the rich <laughs> keep getting richer. But it is it is incredible as an Auburn fan. It's hard not to um, it, it's hard not to like Nick Saban, especially when he's so cranky after he wins big games in press conferences. <laughs> I mean, that's a guy that uh, you know uh, uh, seeks perfection, and uh, you know, there's a lot of us that seek perfection. You know, very few of us can achieve it. Um, he seems to do that around. You know, early January, at least every two years on average. <laughs> Sometimes two out of three years on average. So it's just incredible. And guys, I got news for you: the Alabama LSU game will not be close. Alabama will blow out the LSU Tigers um, because of what we just talked about. They're going to be ready for the game. They're going to be a little bit rest. I think they have a bye week this week, don't they, Kip? Bama does. They do. They do. Yeah. So, they sure oh do. man, get get. get 
Sorry, Ed. You've done a great job, a phenomenal job. You're a good interim coach. It will all come to an end in two weeks. Uh, Got to <laughs> talk about some other games that happened this weekend and then want to preview a couple games uh, on this next weekend, next weekend schedule. Matt, I, I would be remiss if I didn't give you the opportunity. And before I give you the opportunity, I really feel like we need a moment of silence on behalf of the Ohio State University. Oh. Who lost this weekend? The Ohio State University lost this weekend against Penn State. Matt, I know that bothered you. I know you probably struggled through the weekend that – yeah, well, uh, give me your thoughts on this team. Um, and also, if Michigan, if they end up beating Michigan in a close game, you think it's possible that we still see Ohio State and Michigan in the college football playoff, both with one losses? I, I, I think that is possible. I think it's, it's, it's certainly, again, it's going to depend on a lot of things. Uh, same as in the SEC, as much as we just sort of set up, you know, one loss Auburn, undefeated Alabama, Auburn could ruin Alabama's season. Alabama's resume is going to be so strong at that point that they might get slip in with one loss too, even without winning the division. Uh, and frankly, I think that's more likely than, than Ohio State or Michigan. Uh, the Ohio State game, which I was actually with a buddy of mine who's an Ohio State graduate, so we were keeping a pretty good eye on it. Um, one of the more bizarre things I've ever seen, that first half, when, when Ohio State got to 12 points, I looked at him and said, y'all basically have this one. There's no way Penn State's offense is scoring 14 right. on y'all. I mean, that Penn State offense had looked so bad in the first half, and frankly, all the way through the third quarter. I mean, they, yeah. they go into the fourth quarter. It's 21-7 Ohio State, and I would have literally cut the darn thing off except for the fact that the, the Oklahoma-Texas Tech game was keeping me awake. And then, yeah. <laughs> you know, you get a dang – 60-yard block field goal return to win the game. Again, not taking anything away from Penn State, but wow, they they stole one. They really stole that game. And they did, but Matt, playoff. Ohio State, they've gotten some breaks through the years, have they not? Sure. Is this oh, not oh, the, the football gods give it and take way. it away? Yeah, and again, any any team that's been to the playoff and won championships, I mean, you know, shall, shall we go through the breaks Alabama's gotten both ways through the years? Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. And again, you got to give that Penn State team, we were just sitting here talking about teams that quit. Arkansas quit. Ole Miss quit. Penn State didn't quit. And so they yeah. kept themselves close and kept themselves in position. And so when they did get the lucky break, they were able to take advantage of it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, again, that is a talented football team up there. They are young. Uh, you know, you, you, you just think – I don't think they're done this year, and I sure think they're going to be loaded and tough next year. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Yes. Yeah. Kip, how do you handicap the uh, uh, the world's largest cocktail party this weekend in Jacksonville? Florida coming in 5-1, and 3-1 and one in the SEC, 14 in the country. Georgia's hurting, man. They are real, and they haven't gotten their identity, haven't gotten their feet under themselves with Kirby Smart. They look good at times. Well, they look good in the North Carolina game, and um, and then they, they look good at times in the South Carolina game. But it's been a rough year. been a tough maiden voyage for Kirby Smart. Florida 4-3, and 2-3 three, and three in the SEC. Florida coming in a 7.5-point favorite. Uh, Georgia has had a week off, though, to uh, – to kind of uh, sit on the sting of losing to Vanderbilt at home. You know, uh, I tell you, I'm not a fan of the Bulldogs. Would love to see them lose. 
Uh, I can see him sneaking up and winning this game, Kip. What are your thoughts? Yeah, because I'm. I, I have to tell you, I'm a little underwhelmed with Florida. I, I don't. Uh, I, I don't think that they're uh, that, that that they've really proven much. I mean, who have they beaten? Uh, they they their their one time on stage, they kind of uh, amazingly took a big lead against Tennessee into the half, and then were completely just blown off the field. I think they only made two first downs in the entire second half of that game. And if you look at the rest of their body of work, I mean, they've had a, they had a barely a I mean, Georgia did lose to Vanderbilt. Florida beat them thirteen to six, um, so that was not exactly a a, a a a great performance. Probably their most dominant win was over Kentucky. Uh, closely followed by Missouri. I mean, they've played all of the weak sisters. Um, I, I I just don't know about about this team, particularly offensively. I I think there are big time questions. Their defense is given a, a lot of props and a lot of credit, uh, and their defense is very good. But I I don't know if it's an elite defense. Georgia, on the other hand, I mean, who knows what's going to show up on Saturday? Is could it be the team that basically outplayed Tennessee the entire game, only to uh, let it get away uh, with a fumble in the end zone that gave Tennessee the lead. Then they snatched the lead back with 10 seconds. We know the story of the horrors in Athens. Um, and then the, the Vanderbilt game was just a complete flat performance. They outgained them three to one and still managed to lose the game. So who knows what Georgia team shows up? Obviously the bye week is going to be a big deal for them. Uh, Eason is capable of making some plays. It's still hard for me to see this Georgia team where they are right now coming out with the win. But I think it'll be a really competitive game because I think teams, uh, you know, have some big time question marks. And this is uh, this. You would think this would be a Georgia team anxious to play to atone for the last time we saw them. But I think they're going to have to get off to a good start and get into some kind of a, a little bit of a rhythm in the game and start to believe again, uh, like they did in the North Carolina game and like they did for. Uh, three and a half quarters and in the final drive of the Tennessee game. So they have shown flashes of, of some ability. Maybe Nick Chubb will be a hundred percent. Maybe they figured out something on the offensive line, but uh, you still got to give the Gators the edge, but I, I think it's going to be a, a close tight, uh, hard fought game. I think so, Matt, how do you handicap the uh, world's largest cocktail party? What do you think is going to happen this weekend down in Jacksonville, Florida and Georgia? Can, can we still call it that? Yeah, I, I, I thought we were not to call it that anymore. Uh, what did they come up with, the like rivers? That we're gonna, yeah, let me say this real quick, Matt. The same guys that, were, that are gonna, getting ready to cite Chip with the uh, burn ordinance of violation this weekend at all oh, yeah. are also going to come after us for calling it the world's largest cocktail party. Yeah, we're going to yeah, – my winners and losers, I'm going to – we're going to do winners and losers in a minute, and I'm bringing back up the burn ordinance. I'm going to break my rule of two weekends in a row. So, anyway, Matt, go ahead. So back but, then, uh, you call it whatever you want. That's right. That's right. <laughs> in the uh, in the post Spurrier era, it just seems like the team that's not supposed to win this game has been winning it more often than not. I mean, yep. just go back two years ago. You had a Florida team that was reeling. Will Muschamp was a dead man walking, and <laughs> you know, and Florida rolled in there and just laid the smack on them. And, mm-hmm. he, and, and you know, and Georgia did it the opposite way a couple of times. So I actually have a weird feeling that that Georgia, with the week off, um, is going to somehow come in here and steal this game. I'm with Kip. This Florida team hadn't blown me away this year. Not Other at all. than that, yeah, like I said, they played. They started the game against Tennessee reasonably well, 
And other than that, it's been kind of muh. I mean, I know they've had some yeah. quarterback issues with the injury. And uh, and then the unexpected week off at LSU. Again, Chip, to go back to your point, a lot of football is about rhythm. So they probably had some trouble getting the rhythm with the off week, quarterback out, quarterback in. Um, and I just think – I think after that Vandy game, I got a sense Kirby – if he got anything from Nick Saban, he has been all over them for the past ten days. So, no uh, so, so we'll we'll see, but uh, kind of kind of strangely like Georgia. Matt, let me ask you this before we get into winners and losers. Big game this weekend. Uh, big game Saturday night down in Tallahassee in Doe Campbell Stadium. Clemson coming in seven and zero, four and zero in the SEC. Florida State got to be pretty disappointed about uh, where they are right now. If you're a Florida State fan, they're coming in five and two. Um, a lot of people had them picked to uh, win the national championship. I know I did. Um, and, uh, you know, Clemson 7-0, and but, you know, really hasn't looked like a 7-0 and Clemson team. They they really got away with one that last, uh, you know, that last uh, game they played against NC State. A team that went on, a team that went on to uh, – to lose this weekend to Louisville, fifty-four to thirteen. So um, you know, is is this the week the football gods get even with the Clemson Tigers, or, or are they just a better football team than Florida State? How do you, how do you handicap this game, Matt? I, I do think they're a better football team than Florida State. And that said, as a friend of mine's father told me a couple of weeks ago, Dabo Sweeney's the luckiest man on the planet. I, God, he, he really been is. Walking around with a with a horseshoe lodged in one of his orifices yeah. for about a yeah, year and a half really now. Is. Uh, but that said, I really do think Clemson is kind of a victim of their success from last year. I think they got a little yeah. big head mm-hmm. early in the season. They're not playing as hard. They're not as, but, but they have popped up when they've needed to. They played a, a really good game against Louisville. There is no shame. In, in, you know, it's not a lot of people are like, well, they barely beat them. I'm like, that's a pretty darn good team, y'all. Um, really but good. again, big road test, but, but like I said earlier this season, Clemson's been there now, um, you know, winning the semifinal last year, giving Bam everything they wanted in the final. They've been in these big games. Um, Florida state has struggled when they've played fairly good offenses. Uh, don't forget Ole Miss hung a big number on them before they mm-hmm. well Ole missed in the second half and gave it away as they're wont to do. Uh, so I, I, I really – I not only like Clemson, I think they might go in and, and give us their most impressive performance of the year so far. Interesting, Kip. How do you see that game playing out in Tallahassee this weekend? Yeah, I, this is going to be uh, just a physical war. I, I think Florida State's kind of backed into the corner. They've had some uh, appalling uh, um, shortfalls this year. I mean, we're fortunate. Came back and beat Ole Miss going away, but uh, really slept walk through the first half. The absolute ambush uh, taken to the woodshed at Louisville, and then North Carolina came in and just and just shell shocked them with a with 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 a uh, totally unexpected offensive onslaught that they just couldn't stop with their vaunted defense. But then they their season might have turned. You know the blocked extra point against Miami. Uh, you know maybe one of those those seminal moments in a season that kind of kind of gets the the ship righted. So I think this is going to be a great football game. Um, I, I, I said at the beginning of the year I thought Florida State would, would maybe have the edge being at home in this game against Clemson. Uh, last year's game was hard fought up at Tiger Stadium, and Clemson prevailed, which kept them uh, on the on the tracks for their run. Uh, so I, I'm I'm going to give a, 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 a nudging uh, a, a nudge on the uh, Seminoles' way 
only because they're at home and it's it's kind of uh, okay corral time. And like you guys said, I, I, I have made the exact same statement about Dabo and his horseshoe and where it's lodged. Uh, but at some point, uh, those, those, those seem to extricate themselves. And maybe <laughs> on the way down to Tallahassee, we might have a mishap. So I'm going to go with the Seminoles. Kip, no question, Kip, tell man. Me you no didn't question. Say that was, Kip, tell me you didn't ahead, say that was, a, that was a Seminole moment of the season. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly yeah. right. And, boy, I tell you, if they Seminole, lose that game yeah. and another one coming in, um, uh, really uh, plays havoc with the uh, – um, with the the playoff and and the, and the four teams that are going to be in there, we're a couple weeks away, I think, from from seeing uh, or actually next week, I think, guys, it comes out the first uh, uh, college football mm-hmm. playoff uh, standing. So we'll, we'll have a lot to talk about next week, um, guys. Time has flown by. Didn't even have an opportunity to get into a couple of the games we wanted to get into, but I am glad we covered the ones we did. I am glad we gave a moment of silence to the Ohio. State University, state. so that uh, the Ohio State University, um, yes. and they might lose too. Maybe you know, maybe uh, maybe it's finally time. I mean, guys, this year in college football, we've already seen Tennessee defeat Florida. So is this the year that Michigan finally gets on Ohio State, the Ohio State University? And if Michigan does beat the Ohio State University, they have two <laughs> losses. And let's hope, guys, let's hope that that will be enough to keep them out of the college football playoff. Because i got to tell you, after watching that Ohio State-Wisconsin game a week ago, I thought we were destined to have two uh, Big Ten teams in uh, uh, two Big Ten teams in the college football playoff. Hopefully that won't be the case. And, um, but I still, nonetheless, do very much look forward to watching uh, – watching that Michigan-Ohio State game. Guys, we've run out of time for college football. Um, we do have a little bit of time for uh, winners and losers for the week in sports, and then uh, we will take a 60-second uh, break, and we will be back on the other end to discuss uh, the NFL. But uh, I'll go ahead and start with my winners and losers for the week. And um, uh, I'm going to start with losers for the week. Uh, and I have two losers for the week. This is a, a co-gold medal award, and, and, and this award goes to David Gibbs and Mike Stoops. David Gibbs, the defensive coordinator for Texas Tech. Mike Stoops, the, uh, the defensive coordinator for Oklahoma. If you guys remember, David Gibbs, who was the defensive coordinator for Texas Tech, um, in 2005 was the defensive mm-hmm. coordinator for Auburn. Um, and since 2005, he has had stints at the Kansas City Chiefs, the Houston Texans, the Virginia Destroyers of the UFL, and the Houston Cougars. And now he's at Texas Tech. I don't know how much longer he's going to be at Texas Tech, <laughs> nor do I know how much longer Mike Stoops is going to be the coordinator at Alabama. But those guys have to be the loser for the week. Um, unbelievable. Anytime you're a part of a game that breaks that many records and you're a defensive coach, you can't be real happy about that. My winner for the week is Gus Malzahn. Uh, Got to give credit where credit is due. I've been very critical of Gus Malzahn and, uh, and his inability to make adjustments in the offense to have success. And uh, the rule on the red zone sports support is, uh, on, in a calendar year, you can't repeat winners uh, 
and you can't repeat losers. However, you can have a winner one week and a loser one week so long as they don't get the award more than once in their respective in their respective space. And so uh, I've had Gus Malzahn as the loser, and now I'm having Gus Malzahn as a winner. Really happy that he's been able to turn that around. Again, a lot of football to be played. We'll see if, uh, if, he, if he can keep up uh, with uh, what's been going on the last couple of weeks. But uh, to be able to, to, to win two conference games, albeit, you know, not the greatest teams in the conference, but uh, those certainly look like two games that could have easily been uh, in the loss column for this team um, uh, just as, as, uh, as soon as three weeks ago. So Gus Malzahn, my winner for the week. Mike Stoops and David Gibbs, my losers for the week. Uh, our Tar Heel, Matt Metcalf, your winners and losers for the week. Uh, my winner for the week is Colorado. They have had yeah. some rough times since their glory days back in the 90s. Uh, Mike McIntyre came in. It took him a long time to get it going. He finally does. They are 6-2 and two and bowl eligible. And perhaps more importantly, 4-1 and one in the uh, Pac-12 South tied with Utah. Uh, you, you, if you've paid close attention to the Pac-12, you kind of knew they were getting close to turning the corner, but I don't think anybody – uh, saw them as, as competing for the South Division title. So huge props to him for getting it turned around. My loser is uh, is Charlie Strong. I'm afraid that loss to Kansas oh, yeah. State this week, I think that may have been the, uh, you know, it yeah. might not be the, the last nail in the coffin, but they've, they've put the top on it and have the hammer and nails out. Um, he just, you know, in this day and age, it, it, and I hate to keep bringing him up, but Nick Saban has changed the dynamic. You don't get four or five years anymore if you're not, if you're not at least seeing some progress by year three, uh, particularly at a big time program like Texas. They're coming after you, and I I got a feeling that was the uh, that's going to be the last chapter in his uh, Texas novel. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Uh, I've always been a Charlie Strong fan. Don't know why, but I always have. Um, you know, don't know why it didn't work out for him in Texas, but. Uh, doesn't look like he was given a long leash with that and chance. I don't think they handled it well this year when uh, they had two losses. But nonetheless, you got to win more football games. you got to be able to beat the Kansas States of the world, and he's not doing it. So I uh, couldn't agree with you more. I, I think uh, Charlie Strong is coaching his last year at Texas, but uh, he will join a long list of coordinators who, um, um, who just struggle a little bit to make the transition. Eh, maybe a little bit unfair criticism of uh, Charlie Strong. He did have some success as head coach at Louisville, but uh, uh, we'll see if he gets another head coaching job or whether he goes back into being a coordinator after this year. Kip, go ahead. Your winners and losers for the week. Well, I've already mentioned my winner, but I'll go ahead and, uh, and give you the reasons why. My winner for the week is Leonard Fournette. This is a kid who later than this last year in November – when the Tigers came into uh, Tuscaloosa to play Alabama uh, and were actually uh, uh, close to I think that game was almost a pick em. LSU was on a big-time roll. Fournette was already conceded at that time, the Heisman Trophy yeah. pretty much. And you remember that night in the rain in Tuscaloosa, 21 yards on the ground for Fournette. Uh, the LSU Tigers went on to lose their next three in a row. Les Miles was on the verge of losing his job, which was just a delay as it turned out. Fournette started this season banged up, uh, was not uh, was not very effective in the early part of the schedule for LSU. 
and then missed out on, I, I think, at least, I know two games, but I think two and a half games of no appearance at all. And just as recently as about two weeks ago, I heard a commentator say, I very much doubt we'll ever see Leonard Fournette in an LSU uniform again. You know, why would he come back and risk his professional status and everything else? Well, not only did he come back, the kid ripped off yards, runs of 78, 72, and 59 yards, albeit against a dispirited-looking Ole Miss defense, but uh, just ran with such a chip on his shoulder and maybe wasn't even 100% healthy, but, but really showed that he was a true champion. I love when guys come back. I mean, he was, you talk about a forgotten man. Uh, this was one of the, the, the try favorites in this year's Heisman Trophy discussion, and he had uh, pretty much disappeared. So props to Leonard Fournette for coming back and showing people just what an outstanding running back he is and that uh, he wasn't going to be some some uh, uh, shrinking violet on the sidelines and was going to try to preserve some big contract. He had something to prove, and in my mind, he really went out and did it. My loser for the week? Well, it's, it's two guys that are uh, wearing a lot of different uniform combinations. Oregon, for the 91st time in their last game, wore a different combination of uniform. Uh, the problem is, for the fifth consecutive time, they lost this week. Yeah. Uh, this is a mighty program. Just think of all of the success and all the years on top, and you talk about an absolute train wreck. Oregon is just a disaster this year. Unbelievable. They still have an explosive offense. They, you talk about not being able to stop anybody. Uh, the public's going to demand, let's get a Texas A&M or, or Texas Tech-Oregon bowl game. That would be very exciting. Oh, yeah. uh, they, are, they are on a terrible, terrible downturn. And i got to give my son, uh, Case Kiefer, out in Las Vegas props. He told me three years ago, you wait, Mark Helfrich, the head coach of Oregon, is not a very good coach. And he said, this program will go down. And, boy, it's spectacularly. They're circling the drain. So my co-losers of the week are Mark Helfrich and Phil Knight, who proves once again that the best <laughs> team money can buy, not necessarily the best team. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right, Kip. Very fitting winners and losers. Matt Metcalf, thanks so much for joining us uh, this week to talk about college football. I hope you will join us next week at the same place, same time, as we uh, as we talk about what will no doubt be another fantastic week of college football. Matt, thank you for joining us. And, Thanks for uh, having Kip, me, Chip. It's always a lot of fun. You bet. Absolutely, Kip. I hope you stay with us. We're going to take a quick break, and when we do, we're going to come back on the other side, and we're going to talk a little NFL football. So stick with us. Red Zone Sports Report. Sports Report. My name is Chip Lake. It is uh, Tuesday, October 25th, uh, 9.21 Eastern Time, uh, 6.21 on the West Coast. Thanks again for everybody listening in to another edition of the Red Zone Sports Report. We have, uh, we have covered uh, college football backwards and forwards. We are now going to make uh, 
little transition to the NFL, a lot going on in the NFL this week. Before we do, I want to give everybody an update on uh, the World Series Game 1 at Progressive Field in Cleveland, Ohio. The Cleveland Indians scored two runs in the bottom of the first, and they hold on to a 2 to nothing lead against the Chicago Cubs in the bottom of the third. Um, bottom of the third, uh, two outs. And it uh, looks like uh, Cleveland has a runner on first and second. So we'll keep everybody updated a little bit on um, on the activities going on in Cleveland. With game one of the World Series, but I want to welcome to the show the savage burn, Mr. Steve Butler. And Steve, um, want to welcome you, unfortunately, under very similar circumstances as an Atlanta Falcons fan, as we welcomed you on a week earlier. The Atlanta Falcons... Not this Saturday, but the previous, excuse me, not this Sunday, but the previous Sunday, lost a heartbreaking game up in Seattle. Um, a lot of controversy at the end of that game with uh, the pass interference call on Richard Sherman that never got called. The referees didn't throw a flag. Atlanta didn't have an automatic first down. They didn't have an opportunity to kick a field goal to win the game or at least send the game into overtime. And uh, heartbreak this weekend to the Atlanta Falcons defense giving up a uh, 14-point lead in the second half, lose to the San Diego Chargers 33-30. to Steve, give me your thoughts on, um, you know, this, uh, this Falcons team at 4-3 and three now, uh, who even though they're at 4-3, I, I still feel better as a Falcons fan than the team that was 5-2 and two last year. But it's been a rough couple weeks. So, Steve, thoughts on Chargers-Falcons this weekend? Well, first of all, it was a tough loss. I mean, it's it's really hard to have that happen to you two weeks in a row. And and this time I think it was a little bit more on the Falcons and their coaching staff and some of the lack of execution by the players in the second half. I believe the Falcons had eight penalties in the second half, which is just unbelievable. It's, it's hard to imagine that you get four offsides penalties on one offensive line in two quarters. Yeah. Um, and especially down the stretch, it, it essentially put the Falcons in a, in a first and 20. And for some reason, Cal Shanahan, even with the lead and, a, and only three and a half minutes on the clock, decided to throw three deep patterns on first down. I'm still having a hard time coming to grips. And I know Matt made a bad throw, but it actually, when you look at the tape, Denzel Perriman just made a great play on the ball, and he came off of the tight end to undercut the receiver. But long story short, I still think we should have been running the ball with only three and a half minutes to go in the game around the 45-yard line. And, and as far as is losing two games back-to-back like this, it's tough, man. It, this is really going to test the mettle of this team. I still feel more comfortable that this team is more legitimate than yeah. last year's team. Totally. Yeah, I'm with you, man. And I tell you, I have not been – I've been skeptical of this Dan Quinn scheme, this Dan Quinn offense. Look, like Dan Quinn, don't know that I bought into it. But i got to tell you, Steve, even though the Falcons have lost the last two games, I have earned a lot more respect for Dan Quinn in these losses than I have in some of the wins. Um you know, I'm probably in the minority of Falcons fans that was okay with going for it on fourth and one in overtime uh, in our side of the field. I think, you know, I think Dan thought, A, we could have gotten it, but B, you got to figure, too, that San Diego Chargers offense 
was really hitting its stride. Had we punted the football, a field goal wins the game for San Diego. Um, you know, it's always easy to look back and uh, be an armchair quarterback after they didn't get it. I'm not so sure if we'd have punted that the game wouldn't have turned out the same way. But I, I was really happy to see Dan Dan's response after the loss in Seattle. And, look, even though uh, it didn't work out for us, um, I didn't mind going for it. I kind of liked that mentality. And, uh, you know, even though it didn't work out for us, I think Dan Quinn is kind of growing as a head coach. And, you know, Pete Tasca talks every week about drinking the Buffalo Kool-Aid. And I hope I'm not drinking the Atlanta Kool-Aid with this Dan Quinn. But I, I like what I see with this well, Falcons team. I agree 100%. Thoughts on that, Steve? Well, I think it, it was bad luck, and I agree with the fourth and one call. When you look at the replay, and of course this was publicized, Jake Matthews, the left tackle, got tripped up and fell down. So there was a yeah. hole in the line, and that's a freak accident. You're not going to have that happen, but so many times in the NFL football. So I was fine with fourth and one. What I wasn't fine with is Dan Quinn's insistence on running zones, and, and you heard me complain about this earlier sure. in the season. He was letting Phillip Rivers pick him apart, and he should have switched yeah. up the coverages. He just stuck, and, and he was asked about it in the press conference, and I listened to it on Monday, and, and he said quite simply, listen, this is what we do. Well, I don't know if I'm down with that, because sometimes yeah. you've got to be flexible, and, that's, and, and Pete Tasker and I talked about it this week. That's what's made Bill Belichick the best coach in football. He might have a plan, yeah. and he might have a scheme. He'll make whatever adjustments on the fly he needs to make to win football games, and just because you think this is what you do doesn't mean you don't need to make adjustments at halftime. Absolutely. No, I couldn't agree. I agree 110%. So uh, we'll see if he learns anything from it. Last year, Steve, after we lost momentum, after that sizzling start, we never really got it back. I really feel like this Falcons team can get it back. And I certainly hope we're sitting here on the Red Zone Sports Report eight weeks from now talking about how these two weeks for the Atlanta Falcons were character building and, and, and built the fiber of this team, and I think it can, so I'm excited about that. Plus, I have to be optimistic about it because I have Matt Ryan and Julio Jones as starters on my <laughs> fantasy team, so I really don't have much of a choice but to be invested in this team. Um, Pete Tasker, let's welcome the Buffalo bad boy. Live from Buffalo, New York, tell us a little bit, Pete, about the game this weekend between the Bills and the Dolphins. There is a rumor, there is a rumor that the fantasy matriculator, who we've had on this program, but he, he seems to disappear onto the tennis court, Every Tuesday, we you know he's like a, you know he's 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 like a cult of personality, right? I mean we we don't get to see a lot of him except you know in the preseason and then out. Rumor has it that the fantasy matriculator was on your show this weekend in Buffalo, giving a preview of his Miami Dolphins against the Buffalo Bills. And Pete, I gotta tell you, I was cheering for the Bills this weekend. Not only because I don't like the Miami Dolphins, but I have the Bills defense on my fantasy team. What happened this weekend, Pete? How did Jay Ajay run for 214 yards over that Buffalo defense? Well, your guess is as good as mine, Chip. But uh, good evening, everybody. Good evening, gentlemen. Always glad to be here with you fellas uh, on the Red Zone Sports Report. And, yes, the fantasy matriculator, the man, the myth, the legend, made a cameo appearance on Faith Food and Football. This Saturday morning, this past Saturday morning, was a great time. We had uh, 
Jim Crash Jensen, former uh, Dolphins great on the show with us as well. A lot of a lot of good talk, a lot of good chatter. And and I gotta give some credit where credit is due to the matriculator. You know, obviously he's a homer, a Dolphins homer, no question about it. We had some good banter going back and forth. But he made a very astute observation. Um, then again, you know, guys like the Savage Bird watch offensive line play like few others out there. The rest of us mortal <laughs> men, we watch the snow players, the quarterbacks, the, uh, the wide receivers, of course, the running backs. But Nick Garcia made mention of how the offensive line of the Miami Dolphins had gotten healthy the week prior. Um, Laramie Tunso, uh, a good old SEC boy. We know all about him. Brandon Albert, oh, yeah. healthy. Uh, the Pouncey brother, I forget if it's Marquise or Mike. I always get them mixed up. Whoever it was, they're all back and they're all healthy, coming off a great game against the Steelers. Jay Ajay went for over 200. Listen, there's no answer for how he got trampled by the Miami Dolphins in Jay Ajay other than we were just out muscled. We were out schemed by Adam Gase, the offensive line. And, and the offensive squad of the Miami Dolphins. It's just we got bullied. And, and you hate to say it, it's, it's the worst thing in the world for a guy like Rex, Rex Ryan to have to swallow that pill. But boy, oh boy, did we get bullied. Unfortunately, it, it kind of harkened back to the Buffalo Bills' run defense of about four or five, six years ago when, when teams would just stretch us out with that those zone runs, and then they'd cut back. And listen, this J.H.I. kid is for real. I mean, for yeah. anybody out there who hasn't seen – him play these last couple of weeks, well, they're off this week. They're on the bye. But this kid is legit. He had burst. He had wiggle. And they had that thing humming. I mean, it was like uh, it was like watching a symphony at work, especially in the second half of that football game. And you got to give credit to Adam Gates, the, uh, the rookie head coach of the Miami Dolphins. They were down 17-6 to late in that football game, late in the third quarter. And you just knew right then and there he was not going away from the run. He stuck to it, and it worked like a charm. They had they had the, the Miami Dolphins pinned deep. Uh, it was about, I think it was first in, in, in goal, obviously, down on their end at the two-yard line, and Jedi breaks that 50-yard run and really broke the back of the Buffalo Bills in that game. And, listen, the Miami Dolphins deserved it. Unfortunately, it takes the luster off of the uh, New England Patriots coming in this week, coming into town. Um, and we may be reverting back to the mean gentlemen here in Buffalo. We shall see. <laughs> well, it'll be it'll be interesting, Pete. It uh it almost looked like you guys were looking ahead to uh you know, to New England coming into town and I share your sentiments about Jay Ajay. I mean I I was high on this kid coming out of Boise State last year and he did nothing last year. So I uh, was really surprised about that. I always thought if this kid had an opportunity to play at this level, um he could he could excel. And look, it's still early in his career. He's in his he's in his second year. He's had an opportunity to start because of uh because of some injuries, but uh the kid can play. He's got some talent. He's got some moxie. He's got some flash and uh you know, no second week in a row for, for rushing for 200 yards. So uh, certainly well done for J.J.I. And it will be a very fun game to watch this week between the uh, the Patriots and the Bills. We're going to talk about that in just a second. Uh, Kip, let me, uh, let me get your thoughts on uh, the hapless Cleveland Browns, Kip. Mm. The Cleveland Browns, seven games into the season – because they've already had their bye. They are 0-7, which isn't that surprising because they're the Cleveland Browns. 
but they are now on their sixth quarterback. I mean, have you ever seen a franchise in the NFL that is as snake bit at the quarterback position than the Cleveland Browns, Kip? Uh, you know, it's so funny because uh, look at what else is going on in Cleveland this very evening. Uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers are receiving their championship ring and hoisting their banner to the rafters. The first professional sports championship since 1964. The Cleveland Indians are contending in the World Series and leading the mighty Chicago Cubs right now, America's team. And meanwhile, at the mistake by the Lake Stadium, the Cleveland Browns are rewriting record books for ineptitude and bad luck. It's uh, Hugh Jackson coming in, seemingly a, fre- a breath of fresh air for the uh, for the Brownies. And, and, and it needs to be stated that the last championship before the Cavaliers breakthrough was these Browns in 1964 when they beat Johnny Unitas in the Baltimore Colts. Unfortunately, Frank Ryan, Jim Brown, and Gary Collins are not walking through that locker room door. Uh, and if they did, they're all about 80 now, so I don't really know if they'd be much help. But they might be. Frank Ryan could probably hold up better than the quarterback staff that they've had. Uh, it is an absolute nightmare what's going on there. I don't see – do any of you guys see a scenario where they could possibly win a football game? I, 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 just, don't, I just don't see it because um, they've already played some of the more abundant teams of the league and have not broke through. No surprise that the Bengals ran over them uh, this past week. Uh, they're just, they're just, it, it's really indescribable uh, trying to, I mean, who knows who they're going to wind up at quarterback with uh, the rest of the year. I, I, I think they need to go like the Wildcats, find somebody who can uh, just, and just, and just run the ball like Auburn. Maybe Gus Malzahn will take that job here at the halfway mark. <laughs> That's exactly right. Mr. Savage Burns, Steve Butler, very strange game this weekend between the Eagles and the Vikings. Uh, you had the Eagles coming in at 3-2. and two. Carson Wentz, certainly very impressive as a rookie quarterback. Um, still has a long way to go to be an elite quarterback, certainly, but I think it, it's fair to say he's exceeded expectations not only of Eagles fans, but of all NFL fans. And then the surprise team of the year. If you would have told me after week one, um, after Adrian Peterson went down with his knee injury, and only three weeks after Teddy Bridgewater went down with his gruesome injury in preseason, that the last undefeated team in the NFL would be the Minnesota Vikings, I'd have said you're crazy. But uh, Minnesota lost their first game this week. Pretty bizarre game, very sloppy. There were four turnovers in the first quarter. Um, But uh, it was a home game for Philadelphia. Even though they started pretty slow, they ended up uh, winning a a pretty mistake-filled game, 21-10 convincingly. They covered the spread. So, uh, you know, uh, thoughts on on the Vikings? And then, you know, thoughts on where you think this Philadelphia Eagles team can go this year with Carson Wentz as their quarterback? Well, first of all, you got to give the, the hats off to the coaching staff, and, and, and Peterson's done a great job there in Philadelphia. Um, but I think it's all about defense. They're attacking people, and they're playing extremely good defense. Listen, Carson Wentz only had 138 yards and two picks in this game. Yeah. He certainly wasn't the reason that they won, and they really didn't have any one running back establish themselves. It was a very defensive-minded football game. 
quite frankly, we're seeing a lot of that lately, and we'll get to that later in the show. But the product that the NFL is putting out right now, that game, the, the overtime Monday night game, it, it's been really, really bad football. Um, it's not yeah. been fun to watch, and that game was certainly no different. But I think the Eagles have been the good fortune of scheduling to a certain degree. Um, although their schedule is going to get a lot tougher as they get in these division games because the NFC East is the only division in football in which every team has a winning record. And I think the Dallas Cowboys, once they have to play them a couple of times, things might get a little bit tougher. But um, I hey, hats off to their coaching staff. They've put themselves in position to win tough football games. But I think that Minnesota is a paid tiger at best. I agree with you 100%. And uh, Pete Teska, the Buffalo bad boy, uh, Steve had mentioned some bad football. And he's right. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we talked in the first segment, Kip and I did, and, and Matt Metcalf did, about how, you know, every weekend in football, it's amazing how many storylines develop uh, on their own. And this weekend was no different. I think we saw probably one of the strangest, most bizarre games in college football that we've seen in years in Oklahoma, Texas Tech. And then I think we saw as equally – bizarre game in the NFL between Seattle and Arizona on Sunday night. Um, I mean, this wasn't, you know, this wasn't Jacksonville playing Cleveland, Pete. This was the (laughs) Seattle Seahawks and the Arizona Cardinals on primetime national TV stage. And it was a painful, painful, painful football game to watch. I, I can't stress how painful it was to watch. Uh, I mean, AP, hey, hey, did you have a chance to watch that game? And 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 what do you make of just how strange that game was for the entire three and a half, four hours from the time that they had the coin toss at the beginning of the game until until the clock ran out in overtime and. Uh, and and the fact that you had two pretty good kickers in Steven Hauschka and Chandler Catanzaro, you know, miss uh, 27-28 yard field goals in overtime, which would have given their team a win. Talk a little bit about that game this weekend, and uh, particularly, um, you know, Bruce Arians' press conference afterwards, which certainly got a lot of press. Well, I'll tell you, Chip, I mean, as painful as the game was to watch, and certainly – the uh, the end of the game was was just bizarre, and, and seeing those two kickers miss those field goals, just just a t- terrible way to end a football game. Anyway, a slice, and actually, I guess they they evened each other out, um, so it made it you know somewhat uh, you know worthy of of admission, I guess, that both of those kickers missed gimmies. But uh, you know, hey, I'm I'm a fan of defensive football. I always have been. Yeah. I always will be. You know, in, in this era of football, interestingly enough, we had a team like the Denver Broncos on the strength of their defense win the championship last year. But you just yeah. don't get a chance to see two teams go model like that in a slugfest, defense versus defense, basically. Who's going to muscle, you know, the other team more? And, and certainly no one typically muscles Seattle around. The only team out there that, that typically has an advantage, it seems like, year in and year out recently all the Arizona Cardinals, but, you know, from that standpoint, it was a lot of fun to watch. I mean, for me, you know, it's obvious, to, you know, from, from my point of view that, that Carson Palmer is taking that step back this year that, that I think a lot of people expected, uh, and, and it's hurting the, uh, the Arizona Cardinals. But on the flip side of that, Chip, Steve, Kip, 
you got to admit there's there's one player on that team who was absolutely spectacular. He didn't get the ball into mm-hmm. the end zone this week, but David Johnson out yeah. of Northern Iowa. I mean, the yeah. second-year running back from the Arizona Cardinals, he, he chalked up all, I think it was about 160 total yards again. I mean, that kid is just special. He's fun to watch, and, and he was about the only shining light offensively in that football game on Sunday. But, again, I appreciate that cut type of football. It's very rare that you see it in today's age of, of offensive football here in the NFL. So I appreciated it for, for what it was. And, and I look forward to, uh, you know, seeing a couple more of those games hopefully coming down the pipe because some of these wide-open uh, games that we do see, you know, especially when it's a blowout one way or the other offensively, and you might see that in Buffalo this week with New England and the Buffalo Bills, mind you. But anyway, <laughs> I appreciate the football game for what it was, absolutely. Interesting. Steve, Mr. Savage Burn, I want to get your thoughts on the same game. But before I get your thoughts on it, um, this was after midnight. I mean, it was, uh, you know, th- this game uh, di- didn't end until on the East Coast, I think, uh, what, 12-15, 12-20. So this was right at high midnight. The play-by-play of the first missed field goal in overtime. And then, Steve, want to get your thoughts on it. 24 yards in. How in the world? That's the reason. I'm just telling you, it has been a nightmare. Steve, the announcers really didn't know what to say. What do you say? After playing football for three hours and 15 minutes, guy misses a chip shot against the goalpost. And then 10 minutes later, Stephen Hauschka misses a field goal. So, Steve, did you have a chance to watch that game? Give us your thoughts on it. Well, I saw the replays the next day. I mean, who would stay up to watch the end of that football yeah. game if you did? Only on the really West Coast, to... Steve. Only on the West Coast. Yeah, yeah. If, if you did, you, on the East Coast, you need some therapy because that is just torture. Um, but it's it's just par for the course. And there's a lot of reasons I think this is happening in the NFL. But when you see bad execution on easy plays, and like we were talking about with the Falcons and our left tackle falling down, and, and in, in these cases, kickers not executing, or sometimes you're seeing blocks come right up the middle. It's lack of practice. And in the last few years of the CBA, that's really limited players' abilities and coaches to, to go over some of these things, especially special teams. It, I think there's, this is the result of that. I don't think this is just random, all these kickers making missing easy field goals. I, I think this has a lot to do with the CBA and their lack of practice. Interesting, very interesting, Steve. Pete Tasca, the Buffalo bad boy. Let me switch gears for a second. Talk about the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, uh, Team started the season uh, with a game on Monday night, very lackluster game on Monday night, got shut out. They were 0-1, and they won three in a row. And now they have lost three in a row. So they go to London this week. They lose to the New York Giants 17-10. Very sloppy game, really, on both sides. Uh, wasn't a well-executed, wasn't a well-played game. Now the Los Angeles Rams, uh, like the New York Giants and like every team that plays in London, they have a bye week before they get back on the schedule. So uh, with that and with the success that Carson Wentz has had in Philadelphia and with the abysmal game that Case Keenum had this weekend in, uh, in England, Case Keenum throws four interceptions with a QBR of 22.1. How much pressure 
is going to be is there going to be in Los Angeles on Jeff Fisher to give Jared Goff an opportunity at quarterback number one and number two do you think this was the Rams play all along or do you think they really will sit Jared Goff all year well I don't think there's any way they could sit Jared Goff all year but uh, you know, Case Keenum, Case Keenum, as you said, an abysmal performance. You couldn't have said it any better. Four interceptions in that football game, just terrible. Not, not to mention the fact that they cannot get the run game cranked up with Todd Gurley. It's kind of inexplicable. A lot of um, um, uh, injuries on the defensive side of the ball, particularly the defensive line, has impacted what they're trying to do over there. But Jared Goff is the number one pick in this draft. There, there's obviously something amiss with his ability to, whether it's pick up the playbook, whether it's the, the physical side, the mental side, all the above, there's something wrong there. Um, the, this young yeah. man is, is obviously not ready to, to take that leap and to take that step. Unfortunately for him and for the organization, and most importantly, Jeff Fisher, uh, who who's obviously has to be on a very short leash at this point, he's going to most likely get forced into action uh, obviously, as you said, not this week because of the bye. Could very well be second half of next week's football game if Case Keenum comes out and lays another egg. At the very least, you know, if, if the L.A. Rams continue to lose football games, which is most likely to happen, um, especially when you consider the division that they're in, with the exception, of course, of San Francisco, um, you're going to see Case, uh, you know, you're going to see Jared Goff out there. And, and I just think it's most likely, you know, headed for, for a disaster. And, and that's just going to be bad for L.A., that's going to be bad for Jeff Fisher, that organization, and ultimately the NFL. This is the number one pick in the draft. <laughs> you know, you've got Dak Prescott, a fourth-round pick, is playing out of his mind, and Dallas keeping, you know, Tony Romo on the bench most likely. And, and it's just amazing how, how they could have possibly miscalculated so terribly on this draft pick, but apparently they did. I'm actually looking forward to watching this train wreck. To be perfectly honest with you, so well, bring it on. Bring on Jared Goff well, because enough is enough with Case Keenum as far as I'm concerned. What, what do you think the odds would have been, Pete, at the beginning of the year that Kevin Hogan would start an NFL game before Jared Goff did? <laughs> <laughs> You'd probably get pretty good odds on that if you wanted to put money down on Kevin Hogan, don't you think? You got that right. My goodness gracious. I mean, how bad could it possibly be with this kid? I mean, it's Well, you remember, if you remember, Pete, the last time there was, if, that I can remember, that there was such a strong evaluation on two solid college football quarterbacks on, mm-hmm. on which team was going to take one. If you guys remember, it was Ryan yep. Leaf. Ryan Leaf. And uh, I believe it was uh, who was that? Was that was that Peyton Manning Peyton as well? Manning. Yeah, exactly right. So, uh, yep. Now look, I don't I don't mean to do that to Jared Goff to say that he's going to be another Ryan Leaf, but couldn't agree with you more, Steve. Mister Savage Burn, going to put you on the hot seat, man. I'm going to put you on the hot seat because I can't believe we are about to go through winners and losers. And Kip, you got to get your 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 uh, NFL winners and losers together. I know you showed us uh, college football in the previous section, but we're going to close with that here, and we've got ten minutes. Yeah. Steve, I'm going to put you on the hot seat, my friend. The game that nobody is talking about. 
And there's a reason nobody's talking about it. <laughs> We're going to talk about it tonight on the Red Zone Sports Report. The Cleveland Browns this week host the New York Football Jets. The New York Football Jets. And, uh, and uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, who got benched this past week, for Geno Smith is going to be pressed in action again because Geno Smith tears his ACL. So can you think of two football teams that have had worse luck at the quarterback position this year than the New York Jets and the Cleveland Browns? Oh, and by the way, Steve, this game that's going to be played in Cleveland with the Browns being 0-7 and the Jets being 2-5 and is going to happen at around the same time that the first pitch is going on in Wrigley Field and the Cleveland Indians are playing in the World Series. So, Steve, I'm going to ask you and put you on the hot seat. The over-under on the total number of people that show up to the game, is it above 41,000, <laughs> Steve, or do you think it's going to be below 41,000? Mm, I think I'll go. I'll give them a little credit. I'll go with the over. Oh, going with the over, man. I hear you. I got to tell you. Uh, who, likes you to know, root, who likes to root for the under? That's no fun. <laughs> it's no yeah, fun. But, true. but you know, the NFL cheats like NASCAR, I think, on these, uh, on these, yeah. on these uh, attendance games. Because if, if you look at the, the number of people in the stands at Levi Stadium this weekend uh, at the 49ers game and all the tweets that went out from people saying, holy cow's kickoff. And this this place is of, of you know twenty twenty five percent full, but uh, NFL says yeah eighty thousand people went to that game yeah eighty thousand people got into that game so we'll we'll see but just a pathetic game this weekend I don't know who ends up getting the assignment um, to cover that game uh, but uh, they the, they didn't draw really a really good straw but it's interesting the Browns are zero and seven. Steve, but they're only 0-2 at home. So uh, um, I think they played one game in London and then uh, then uh, played play four on the road. I got a feeling they're probably going to be 0-3 at home after Sunday. But they are playing the Jets, and so to Kip's point, it's hard to see them being able to win a game. But if they are going to win a game, this might be it, right? I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick's coming in, and you just have to just wonder what kind of a mood Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to be in. Is he going to be in one of those moods where he just likes to throw the ball to the other team? Or is he going to protect the football, which is very unlike Ryan Fitzpatrick. But as Pete Tasca can tell you, you know, Fitzy's hot and cold, man. He can turn it on. And he can turn it off. It's been off a lot lately, so that'll be very, very interesting to see. Guys, our time has flown by as it always has. Would love to talk about uh, six or seven other games and then preview this week's games. But we have seven minutes left in this segment of the Red Zone Sports Report. And so, Mr. Savage Burns, Steve Butler, we are going to start with you, winners and losers for the week in sports. Well, I'm, I'm going to obviously stick with the NFL since this is kind of our subject matter. But um, my winner of the week is going to be Philip Rivers. I mean, this guy Ooh. takes so much heat. And he didn't have that yeah. great of a game. He got, it's just 374 yards and a touch and a, and a pick. But at the end of the day, I've never seen a guy in fantasy or in real life get more disrespect and have such a good game. He led his team yeah. back. He was excellent in the second half. He picked the Falcons apart. 
So I, he led me to his fantasy championship a couple of years ago. I just figured I'd throw the guy a bone. And my loser of the week <laughs> is going to be the NFL. And it's for the reasons mm-hmm. that are mentioned in that Wall Street Journal uh, article about mm-hmm. the 40% loss in market share. And there's a yep. number of reasons I think this happened. I'll, I'll save that for another show. Um, but one of those is just the, core, uh, the quality of the product that's on the field right now. So uh, my loser of the week is going to be Goodell in the NFL. Goodell in the NFL, loser of the week. Man, it is. I wish we had time to talk about that. Hopefully we'll have time next week. We'll make sure we have time next week because I don't think those numbers are going to turn around um, in a one-week span, especially with the uh, with the Arizona-Seattle game being on national TV and with such a lackluster Monday night game. But, Steve, we're going to put that on the agenda to talk about next week, so I'm glad you brought that up. Pete Tasca, the Buffalo bad boy, your winners and losers for the week. Well, Chip, who else could possibly be my winner this week? None other than Chip Lake for rubbing his nose at the man and burning some wood this past weekend. Absolutely. Are you kidding me? Absolutely. Chip Lake is absolutely our winner of the week. I I just found that that whole take at the end of last week's show, and and it really didn't set in, Chip. I really didn't fully understand where you were coming from until I did a little research. And we went back and forth with a little bit of banter, you, Steve, and I. Yeah. And I did not realize the scope of, of what had been, you know, put down in the people of Alabama. Just ridiculous. Absolutely. But good for you for burning some wood, Chip. God bless you for it. You're my winner of the week, undoubtedly. <laughs> my loser of the week. Anyway, I'm, I'm going to have to go the other way on the Atlanta Falcons and Coach Dan Quinn. I, I've always been, as, as an armchair quarterback myself, inclined to want to go for an aggressive approach. I just didn't think that that was the right choice, that fourth and short that they went for, that got snug. I thought they should have punted that football, pinned that team deep, and let Dan Quinn's defense do what Dan Quinn's defense is supposed to do as a defensive head football coach with all that young talent. I didn't like it. Dan Quinn is my loser of the week and ended up costing him the football game. Ooh, very good. In full disclosure, Pete Tasca, and I know, Steve, you might have, I don't know if you were there for it last week or you might have missed it. We uh, we did get in a little bit of trouble for our fire, and um, and uh, we were um, we were banned on Saturday for fire because they came around at noon and said, you, you, you have to put your fire out, and then we said we would. And then they came around at 1.30 in the morning on Friday night, and they said, I thought you said you were going to put your fire out. And we said, we are. <laughs> and so on Saturday morning at 10 a.m., the owner of the RV park, Mathenhold, who's a good man and I like a lot, came over, and he said, look, can you not build a fire? Can you do me a favor and not build a fire tonight? I said, Mathen. I said, it's going to be 44 degrees tonight. I said, I've got a cover on this fire pit. He said, I know you do, and I know you're responsible about it. But I, but if I let you do it, then others have to do it. And I said, Mathen, this is an overreaction. I water all the leaves and the grass around it. It's going to be in the low 40s. But if you own this property and you tell me not to burn, I won't burn. And I kept to my word, Pete Tasca. I did not burn on Saturday night, but it left a bad taste in my mouth. And I told Matt, I I said, look, you're setting up a bad precedent for the game in two weeks, 
and then the final game. Because if there's still a burn, if this governor still has a burn ban and it gets cold, <laughs> I'm not coming. Because I want to burn wood, and I need to burn wood. So, in full disclosure, in full disclosure, I had to share the fact that we did break the rules, but we got caught, and then and then we 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 had to we 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 had to, to follow the rules. And that, what bothered me about it was there were others on Saturday night who burned all night because they didn't get. Tagged on Friday night. So, in any event, let there be fire in college football games in October, (laughs) November. So, thank you, Pete. I appreciate appreciate you recognizing that. With that, that um, we only have a minute and 45 seconds left. Kip, I was hoping to get you in for your winners and losers for NFL. But we are running out of time. My winners and losers for the week, guys, in NFL. And this is going to sound harsh. And I don't mean it to sound harsh because I like this individual as a person. But my winner for the week are all fantasy football owners who have ever owned Arian Foster. Who have ever owned Arian Foster on their football teams. Arian Foster announces his retirement for the NFL because he just can't stay healthy. And if you're a fantasy football owner and you've ever had Arian Foster on your team, you really wish that he would have made this announcement eight years ago because um, there were a couple years where I took Arian Foster on my fantasy football team, and then there was the one year that I thought the draft started at 8.30, only to find out the draft started at 8.15. It was a snake draft. I got on at 8.30 and found out that ESPN had auto-picked Arian Foster for my team. Sure enough, he was out with guess what, guys? a hamstring injury in week two. And guess what? When he came back in week seven, what happened? He was out with a hamstring injury until week 12. And then he came back week 13, and I was out of it by then. So um, still a little rough, still a little bitter about that. My winner for the week is Randy Moss. Why is Randy Moss my winner for the week? Because not once but twice before the game last night, he kicked two 27-yard field goals in his loafer shoes. So, uh, anyway, guys, we got 10 <laughs> seconds. Our time has flown by. Pete, Steve, Kip, thanks again for joining us. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will catch you next week. Same time, same place. Red Zone Sports.